0: And even what's more crazy is that as these people are walking by, they didn't know that the day before, that little tiny piece of cardboard sold for $6.6 million, making the most expensive sports card ever sold. And I'm reading this article, and I'm like, what? How could so many people have missed it? I mean, were they too busy? Were they distracted? Or maybe someone didn't tell them that what was going on? I mean, what kept them from seeing the beauty and the magnificence and the Just the value of this simple yet glorious baseball card. A card that I had longed to see since I was a little kid. Well, the Apostle Paul, of course, has a great passion as well. But it's not just to kind of gain a glimpse of a valuable baseball card. He longed for people to see and experience something far more valuable. Jesus likens it to a treasure that's hidden in the field. And when a man finds it, he gives up everything for the sake of grabbing hold of it. It's what we call the gospel. And as we jump in earnest into chapter one this morning, Paul wants to make it abundantly clear how precious and beautiful and magnificent is this simple yet glorious gospel. And so here's my hope this morning. And along with the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the church at home, I just I just want us to, to magnific- I just want us to be amazed by the magnificent gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to, to just stand and, and be in awe of it. To, to think that our God came to rescue his people. A sinful, rebellious, hard-hearted people who were deserving of nothing good. And yet was offered every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for those who trust in Jesus Christ. You know, we've been looking at the beginning of Romans here as we're launching into our series, first sort of an introduction, and then last week looking at the beginning of Romans through the lens of just like who is the Apostle Paul, but now we want to see the primary subject matter, not only for the beginning of chapter one, but really the whole entire book. It is the gospel, and we want to marvel at it. Guys, I want for you and I just to to stop and stare. So why don't we stand in honor of God's word? And we're going to read the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1. Listen to the word of God through the Apostle Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, Brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, for in it, or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. God, we want to come to you this morning, and we ask that you would give us eyes to truly see, give us ears to to truly hear, and a heart that truly understands and beholds the wonder of the gospel. And as we behold it, we pray that we would then proclaim it. Lord, help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take your seats. And as you do, today's sermon is entitled The Gospel is Really, Really Good News. Uh, We're going to follow sort of the movement that the Apostle Paul presents us with the gospel here, sort of in three movements. The first is the gospel explained. Second is the gospel experienced, and the last is the gospel exclaimed. So the gospel explained, meaning what is it? Uh, The gospel experienced, meaning how do we receive it? And then the gospel exclaimed, meaning who is it for? All right, so first, what is it? The gospel explained. In these first 17 verses, the Apostle Paul uses the word gospel four times uh, but he also uses the word it a couple more times to refer to the gospel. So clearly, right off the bat, he wants, he, he, this is a big part of what he's trying to communicate. And the gospel, it comes from a Greek word meaning, it's euangelion. So you eu meaning good, and angelion meaning message. So we get the word angel from it means someone who heralds the message. It's a, it's a good message, it's a good news, it's glad tidings. And in the first century, the word was typically used of a Roman emperor when he would win a victory and he would then establish peace and his authority in a particular area. And he would send these heralds back to declare this good news. But Paul says, hey, I've got a lot better news than just sort of a Pax Romana, a political peace. I have something far greater, as verse 16 says, it's a, it's a message of salvation, It's about being right with God. It's a a message about a king who has won, who has established peace and authority for all those who trust in him. It's a peace with God and a peace within our own souls. It's good, good news. And the apostle Paul, he then sort of explains what this gospel is in this first paragraph of his writing. And so let's look at it. Starting in verse 1, he says that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. So right off the bat, he says that this message is from God. It's good news, and it's not just something the Apostle Paul came up with or, or any of the prophets came up with. First and foremost, it is God himself who has proclaimed that he's come to rescue people from their sin. God is the source of this good news. And it began at the very beginning of time, even before time began. God the Father and God the Son had this plan to save the world. Then it says in verse 2 that... It was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, this plan of salvation, this promise of salvation, was progressively revealed over time about what this would look like. And this message is from God. Think about these scriptures as a message from God to you and to me about how we can know Him, about how we can relate to Him, about how we can be saved by Him. So, it's not just a message from God. It's not just about a plan or a promise of salvation. It's also about a person. It's a message about God. And look at verse 3. It says, It's concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this message of salvation is centered on a person. It's centered upon Jesus Christ. And he sort of presents him in two different ways. First, from sort of a human perspective, he comes from the line of David. He is that promised king, that promised Messiah that was going to establish a kingdom that would never end. This one that the Messiah, this people, they were waiting for to come and rescue them. But it wasn't a political sort of rescue. It was a rescue from people's sin. And so as we know, Jesus came in humanity. He came in humility to die for his people. To be a substitute. To take their place on the cross. But Jesus didn't just die in humility. It says that he also, verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is declared to be the powerful Son of God. That word declare comes from the Greek word horizo, where we get the word boundary or limit, And that's where we get the word horizon from. When you look out over the sky, you look as far as the eye can see, and there is this horizon. In the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus is declared emphatically, undeniably, powerfully, that he's the Son of God. He's always been the Son of God, but here most clearly he's revealed because he conquered Satan, sin, and death. And he's not just risen from the dead, but he's ascended now to receive great honor and glory by all those who trust in him. Apostle Paul concludes that section by saying Jesus is the Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. He's the anointed one and he's our Lord, meaning he is Yahweh. He is God in the flesh. And now he's Seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving all praise and glory and adoration by all those who trust in him. But Paul says that this message is not just from God and about God, but he also says it is for God. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So, yes, Jesus did come to die for his people. He died for us. But he died also for himself, that all those who would trust in him would give him the praise and the honor and the glory that is due his name. The father is so delighted in the son that he says, I want for everyone to know my son, to worship my son, to give him the honor and the glory that is due him. The father is delighted in this. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is both a declaration of Jesus' perfect rule and an invitation to come under that rule to make him our Lord. That is the good news of Jesus. From God, about God, and for God. But as we know, there is a big difference between just sort of like knowing the facts of the gospel And actually receiving it, experiencing it. and So that brings us to point two, the gospel experience. How is this message to be received? What's the interesting sort of just going the the gospel and actually truly experiencing it? And we know for those who are believers, it is by faith and faith alone. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel is certainly news, but it's more than just information. It has, as the Apostle Paul says, inherent power to transform lives for everyone who believes. That word believe means to trust in to rely upon, to put your confidence in, to depend upon completely. Say, I'm trusting in Jesus alone to save me. Guys, there's a lot of different opinions on the the COVID vaccine and, and whether you believe in it or not. You know that the difference between knowing about the benefits of it and actually believing it is not just like ascribing, oh yeah, I know that that's good for you, right? No, truly believing that it will rescue you from COVID is you've got to take the shot. You put your faith in it. You don't just know about it, but you're actually asking for the COVID vaccine to protect you. And regardless of what you know or believe about the vaccine, you got to take it. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying, guys, there is a huge difference between just knowing about Jesus and actually trusting in him, relying upon him, putting your whole faith in him. Faith is the key that unlocks the power of the gospel. For Martin Luther, guys, he was familiar with the gospel. He he grew up around the church. He knew that God was righteous and He also knew that he was a sinner, but he could not figure out how to bridge that gap between a holy, righteous God and his sin. He even knew that Jesus died for him, but it didn't click for him. In fact, that verse 17 where it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, uh, he thought that to mean that God is righteous to punish sinners. That's how we translated that verse and for him that was not good news. He believed that basically Jesus died to make it possible to be saved, but it was sort of up to him to be good enough, to, to measure up enough to actually be saved. So at the age of 21, he became a monk in Germany, I wanted to gain favor with God, to, to, to be right with God. He was so burdened by his guilt and by his sin that no matter how hard he tried, he could never be good enough. In fact, he would go to confess his sin. He would spend sometimes hours a day. He just just felt like this this righteousness of God, this punishment of God, this wrath of God was, was just over him. It was like a weight that was just hanging around his neck and he couldn't get rid of it. He would come up with every single little thought he possibly can think of to confess to a priest. And the priest at one point, he's like, Martin, would you just like come up with a really big sin instead of all these little tiny things to make it worth confessing? To try to assuage his guilt. Luther even went to Rome to see the great Vatican. And while he was there, he also went to a famous landmark church called... St. John Lateran, where there was this series of steps called the Santa Scala. It was supposedly believed that Jesus went up and down these steps when he appeared to Pontius Pilate. I don't know how they got it to Rome, but that's another story. Uh, But the tradition was that to get closer to God, people would crawl up these steps. And if you were really holy, you would crawl up on your knees. And every step you would take, you would confess your sin, hoping that possibly all of your confession would make you right with God. And so Martin would he began crawling up these steps on his knees, confessing his sin every step of the way, hoping that it finally might help him to feel free. But when he reached that top step in a wave of doubt, he said aloud, who knows if any of this is true. But thankfully in his doubt, there was this phrase that popped into his head, the righteous shall live by faith. The end of verse 17 here. And that began his long journey to discover what this really means. And this is what he said. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous sinner. I was a sinner before God, and I hated a righteous God who punishes sinners. Thus I raised with a fierce and troubled conscience. At last, though, by the mercy of God, meditating night and day, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is not his righteous punishment for sin, but his righteousness with which a merciful God justifies us by faith. Justify meaning to declare righteous even though you're not. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. It's what he calls the great exchange, where he finally and fully recognized that all of his sin had been put upon Jesus Christ alone, and Jesus had died for it completely and perfectly. And in exchange, Jesus was not just forgiving Martin of all of his sin. But then he gave to him his perfect righteousness, that every righteous deed that Jesus did was credited to his account, and that it was received by faith and faith alone. As we read earlier, for our sake, he who knew no sin became sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. That when God looks upon us, he sees not our sin, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ alone. And we entered into paradise. I wonder if even Martin Luther, Martin Luther might have been thinking about the man on the cross next to Jesus. Man had done absolutely nothing good. But he said, Jesus, when you, when you come again, will you, will you bring me into your kingdom? What did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. That is amazing news. It is an alien righteousness. In other words, it is a righteousness that's not ours. We didn't come up with it, but it's been credited to our account. And we simply and fully and completely say, Jesus, you and you alone are my Savior. This quote, the righteous shall live by faith, is from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was struggling. He was crying out to God for salvation. They were the, the people of Jew, the Jews were under the, the, the wrath of the Babylonians. And Jesus gives a message to Habakkuk. He says, The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, believe in me, me alone. I'm the only one who can rescue you. The Apostle Paul knew this very well in the book of Philippians 3. He says, guys, I've done everything. I've done all sorts of good stuff. But I don't trust in any righteousness that I've done. I count it all as rubbish. And then he says this, I want to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want to exchange the most amazing exchange possible. I want to give all of my sin and let Jesus die for all of it. And I get to receive his righteousness and enjoy eternal life forever and ever and ever. One of my favorite things uh, about uh, being a pastor is I get to hear uh, your stories. I love it as a part of the interview process where um, you get to talk about your story of how you came to faith in Christ. And I love just like all of a sudden you're, you're saying, and then just, I realized that Jesus died for me. And I trusted in him. And and this the the joy that you have on your faces when you talk about it. It's just just such an encouragement. It's a beautiful thing when our eyes are awakened to what Jesus Christ has done for us. But here's the other thing this gospel, it's not just to be experienced once. Look back at verse 16. It says this it's a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is in the present tense. It represents continuous, ongoing trust. It's not just sort of a one-time belief in Jesus, but it's an ongoing trust. That's why I think the Apostle Paul over and over again in this passage repeats faith. Verse 5, he says that I want to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, not just a one-time faith, but an ongoing trust and reliance and obedience to Christ. So why he says later on in verse eight, he says, I, I, I want, I, I'm so encouraged that your faith is being proclaimed. Verse 12, he says, I, I want to be mutual, I want us to mutually encourage one another uh, by each other's faith. Verse 16, he says, to everyone who believes, and then verse 17, this righteousness of God that's been revealed, it's from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The NIV translates from faith for faith, by faith from first to last. In other words, we never move past the gospel. We never move past and like, oh yeah, I figured out the gospel. Now I'm just going to move on. I'm going to. I mean, that's up to me to kind of follow Jesus on my own. No, we constantly and continually need to keep bringing our hearts to the Lord, saying, Jesus, I truly trust. You. This is why the Apostle Paul had a desire to proclaim, as he said, verse 15, the gospel to you who are in Rome. This is to Christians. He wants them to understand even more fully how much God is for them and never against them. But if you and I are honest, guys, I forget the gospel. Paul Trippi calls us gospel amnesiacs. And when I do, when I forget who God is, I start to struggle once again with anxiety and fear and anger and frustration. I thought I would share with you uh, just a, about a week and a half ago. For those of you guys who know, I was, um, we dropped off our oldest, Abigail, at college last weekend. Uh, she's doing great, by the way, but I definitely wasn't leading up to that time. Uh, I was feeling just really disconnected from the Lord and uh, in really God's providence. Um, I was meditating on this passage uh, in preparation for that Sunday. And if you guys remember back from from Pastor Paul, he talked about our identity being in Christ and how the Apostle Paul's identity was in Christ. This is why I just want to read to you a portion of my journal from last week. I said, my heart is struggling, not connecting, disoriented, pulled in a lot of different directions. And I I need stability in the gospel. I need to remember who I am. And I just sort of meditated on this passage. And I said, God, you set me apart. I'm loved by you. And you have a deep, personal, profound love for me. I belong to Christ. He purchased me. I'm a saint. I'm declared righteous. I'm a holy, even though I don't feel it that way. I'm a servant. I I honor King Jesus. I I, I try to put others before myself just like he has done for me. I want to die to self and live to righteousness. I've received grace and peace, as verse 7 says. Everything is grace. Beautiful, magnificent, extraordinary grace that draws me in and never casts me out. I am a messenger. I'm a sent one. I'm a a little apostle of the good news that there's forgiveness and adoption and empowerment for all who believe. Let's meditated on verse 17, and I am righteous. No sin, no shame, no guilt. Declared, I'm counted righteous and holy before God. Oh God, help me to live into this reality. This is the greatest truth ever told. Guys, when we really keep reminding ourselves of the gospel, we preach the good news to ourselves. It helps us make it through this really tough life that we live in, right? Uh, Paul Tripp, he says, if you're God's child, the gospel isn't an aspect of your life. It is your life. That is, it is the window through which you look at everything. So to ask you, do you remember who you are? Or should I say, whose you are. That you are God's and God's alone. That he has purchased you, he's redeemed you, he's set you free. You don't have to live in slavery any longer. The righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And what's really encouraging is when we seek our roots deep into Christ. The fruit of that sweet fellowship with him just then propels us forward with anticipation. Not only for what is ahead of us. But it also propels, propels us forward into mission. I remember after reading this, I, was, I, went, I went to Tyre Kingdom to pick up my car and I just couldn't help but tell a couple of the managers there about Jesus. Guys, gospel identity fuels gospel mission. And so I want to encourage you, like if you're struggling with mission, which we're just about to talk about, I don't want to just tell you like, hey, go do mission. I want you to, I want you to just look at Christ. Behold his glory. See him. And as you do, he will compel you to then share him with others. It's really good news. That leads us to the third movement of the gospel. The gospel exclaimed. Who's it for? You know, the apostle Paul, he's already repeated words, gospel and faith. But there's also this repetition of the word all. Verse 5, all nations. Verse 7, all those in Rome. Verse 8, all the world Verse 16, everyone or all who believe. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that just as Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, Apostle Paul says, hey, it's not finished yet. The job's not done. And guys, when I was reading this passage, I was just so convicted about his missionary heart and how I so often give in to fear and give in to, I don't don't know what I should say or how I should say it. Love the Apostle Paul's missionary heart. And he sort of gives like three reasons why he longs to exclaim the gospel through these sort of three I am statements at the end of what we're looking at. Uh, verse 14, he first says one reason for the, how he wants to share the gospel. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. The word under obligation, it could also mean indebted. In other words, he is compelled he wants to follow this command, that word indebted. Um, there's two different ways to be in debt, by the way. You know, one is like somebody gives you a hundred bucks and you need to pay them back. But there's another way to be indebted. I mean, many of you have been so generous to our church when there's a family in need and you sometimes passed along that gift to me. And I'm like, ah, I've got, I've got, I got a check. I got like a, an envelope of hundreds of dollars. And I was like, oh, I have got to get rid of this, right? Um, and who do I need to give it to? The family in need. I am indebted to that family to pass on the the good news that this gift is for them. That's the idea that Paul has in mind. He says, I am obligated, I'm indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. In other words, I'm indebted to everyone, every type of person. I'm called to exclaim this gospel to others. I owe people the gospel. I can't rest until i fulfilled my mission to give it to them. But guys, there is not just an obligation. Yes, there is a command. There's a compulsion that we're called to respond to Christ's command. But there's also this sense of eagerness and anticipation. Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel. It all can be translated, I'm ready. That word eager is the same word for passion, it's a, it's a heated sort of excitement in the pursuit of something. It's actually a, an enhanced sort of Greek word that not only means passion but even like heavy passion. Or it literally means heavy breathing. It has the idea of a of a runner who's constantly leaning forward to finish the race or a horse that's breathing, have you ready to charge ahead into the day of battle? And when it comes to the gospel, the apostle Paul is leaning forward to proclaim and exclaim the good news. He's so full of passion and zeal, of compassion for the people. He just can't wait to share this good news with others. Guys, you remember the first time when you came to faith in Christ? And how it just filled you up with joy and zeal. You couldn't help but tell other people about who Jesus is and what he done for you. That's the idea here. Paul has not lost his zeal. I think it's one of the reasons why he reminds himself over and over again and kind of declares his story in multiple letters. He's like, that's who I was, but this is who I am now. That gospel identity fueled his gospel mission, and he was anticipating other people to hear this good news and to respond in the same way. I was thinking about this with a, a woman who I met in Oaxaca, Mexico. I was down visiting my brother, Stephen, who was a missionary down there, and we, uh, uh, we were walking to church, and uh, at the church service, a tiny little group of believers, about 20 people, uh, I met a woman by the name of Margarita, And um, on the way home, we decided to walk with Margarita back to her house. She was an older woman, probably in her mid to late 60s. And uh, she was walking by herself. And then she began, through Stephen, who, of course, shared with me in English what she was saying in Spanish. uh, She began to tell us about how when she heard the gospel, she knew what it would mean it would mean her husband leaving her, which he did. It would mean her family isolating her, which they did. It would mean that she would no longer have a way to make ends meet, which she didn't when her husband left. And yet she had such a smile on her face. She was so filled with joy. And as we're walking and hearing her story, I'm starting to realize like, man, how long have we been walking? Look at my, my watch. We've been walking for almost an hour. And finally, we get to her home. She had walked an hour one way just to hear the good news again about how Jesus died for her sins. And she so longed for other people to hear that good news as well. For her, it wasn't just a task to, to obey. It was a treasure. She was compelled, but she also had a compassion for others. She was eager and ready to share the good news with anyone she met last but not least though paul says i'm not only under obligation i'm also eager but last but not least he says i am not ashamed of the gospel now paul knew the shame that comes with the gospel he knew it was like to be called a fool and it was like to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be arrested, to even be left for dead. But he said, even though I have experienced shame, I am not ashamed because I know Christ and Christ knows me. It's worth it. I have courage because I know the power of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed for it is the power of God for salvation. He wasn't intimidated to share with others because he knew the power of the gospel that not for him, but it was for other people as well. And he had courage to preach it, even though he wasn't sure exactly how people would respond. He knew that when he declared the gospel, some people would trust in Jesus Christ. He knew that if the gospel was powerful enough to change a modern day terrorist which the Apostle Paul was when he went from house to house, putting people to death. It could change anyone. He said, I'm willing to go whatever lengths possible to follow Jesus all the way to the cross if necessary because of what Jesus has done for me. You follow what Hebrews 12 talks about where it says that Jesus endured the cross And despise the shame. In other words, Jesus did hang on the cross, shamed, naked, experiencing complete rebellion and forsakenness by everyone. And then even his own father who poured out his wrath on the son. But Jesus said, I'm willing to despise the shame. In other words, to count it as nothing. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. The joy of seeing his father just so proud of his son. And the joy of one day seeing people from every tongue, tribe, and language praising him. A joy to be able to embrace them as their savior and king. Guys, that's the path of the gospel that we would be compelled, that we would have compassion, that we would have courage. I'm praying for boldness and courage for each one of us. That is an area that I need to grow in. And I'm praying that as we walk through the book of Romans, that God would not just individually, but collectively give us as a group of people, a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Really, really good news. I want to close with one story, though, because the gospel is not just for those across the street. It's also for those across the world. And so you guys can see here a picture of our gospel partners for this month, David and Mandy. They knew uh, that it would take a lot of courage to go to the far-off places, and they felt called to go to the Esan people, a people of about 20 million in East Asia so they went to study the language. They spent about two and a half years doing that. And now they've moved to a a smaller area where there is no known believers among the Esan people. And they said, we want to go. We have a compassion and a compassion for people. We have a courage to preach the gospel. Regardless of what people might tell us, we are willing to lay it all down for the sake of letting other people know the good news of Jesus encourage you, by the way, to pick up a card at the coffee bar afterwards and to sign up for their updates. But I want to share with you the update they just shared last week. I'm going to read to you. Recently, the Lord put on our hearts the urge to plant a tree. We had no idea why, and certainly we didn't have an idea of what type of tree or where to plant it. We're not even good with planting We felt this urge increasingly weighing on us. And meanwhile, we've been experiencing some challenging and lonely weeks with very sparse social interactions because of the increasing COVID numbers. By the way, thank you for your prayers. We were discouraged, but as always, God was working in our hearts, teaching, pruning, shaping, and preparing us for what was next. Then one day, all of a sudden, a man we've been praying for reached out to David and asked if David would be willing to teach English to a small class of adults online. We taught English in schools and in the community, but because of COVID, they couldn't do that. But now online, of course, David immediately remembered then another guy named Bon, who had once expressed a desire for English lessons many months ago. Bon owns a tea shop down the street, so David tried several times over the next week to stop by the shop, but every time he tried, the shop was closed. But after lots of prayer and many attempts, David finally managed to pop in while Bone was there. And to David's surprise, Bone exclaimed, I can't believe you're here. I was just thinking about you. I was even thinking about going to your house to talk to you. Would you be interested in exchanging English and Esan language lessons? David smiled, of course. So the men are now meeting twice a week to study English and build better relationships. But that's not all. Last Saturday, meaning a week from yesterday... We celebrated our children, Sophie and Judah's birthdays, and Bone and his family arrived to the party bearing a birthday gift, a mango tree. We couldn't even believe it. Bone excitedly asked for a shovel. Let's plant it now. So he and David planted the little tree in the front of the yard, its scrawny stem and five leaves, already meaning so much more to our hearts than just the hopeful promise of future mangoes. While chatting at the party, Bone shared some different quotes about meditation. He's Buddhist. uh, that That he had been thinking about.